Uh, I'm glad you're here with us today. Today we are going to be wrapping up um, our, this has been 10 weeks we've been doing this, uh, talking about being rooted. And today we're chasing a little bit of a rabbit trail. Uh, and last week was too. So last week we had the, a rip-roaring time talking about sin. And uh, we talked about it, we fr- reframed it a little bit. Um, we reframed it from the sense of those landmines of these arbitrary rules that you're just supposed to follow. And if you don't follow those arbitrary rules, then you're in big trouble. Um, but instead, when we really read through all of Scripture, what we find is that sin could really be defined as the, the lack of showing love, honor, and respect to God, to others, or to ourselves. That's really what we've been created to do. It's what we're supposed to be. And so even if we go back to look at the Ten Commandments, if you look at every one of the Ten Commandments, um, half of them are, are, are given to us as a way to, this is how you show love, honor, and respect to God. The other half are, this is how you show love, honor, and respect to other people. Um, and what we tend to do is we tend to take sin and we put lump it in this category of all these things you shouldn't do, and then we try to enforce it. Uh, and the problem is, is we're terrible at interpreting and we're in- terrible at enforcing. And Jesus even said, don't waste your time doing that. Uh, because if someone says they're a believer, but they're really not, I'll work that out at the end. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. Um, so today what I want to talk about, and I, one other thing about last week, by the way, I, I challenged you to look for some intentional ways to show love, honor, and respect to others. I don't know if you did anybody do that this week. Um, I, you know, I shouldn't put anybody on the spot like that, but uh, I hope you did, and you begin getting into the intentional thought process of how do we show love, honor, and respect to people when we get frustrated. We all get frustrated. We all mess up. One of the beautiful things about the teaching of Scripture is, uh, listen, spend your life showing honor, love, and respect to each other, and if someone messes up, forgive them and forgive them quickly. We even have mechanisms in which we're supposed to deal with the the times that we mess up. So I encourage you to do that if you're in line at the grocery store and you get frustrated, if someone cuts you off and you get frustrated, if you're at work and your boss who never gets you makes you frustrated, every person bears the image of God. And so they are worthy of love, honor, and respect. Um, We'll we'll unpack more of that later um, because there's a part of sin in which we then go to the natural place. So does that mean we just are okay with whatever anybody wants to do. And absolutely not, we're just okay with that. But at the same time, the way we talk to people, the way we love people matters. The way we invest in people matters. And this is one of the reasons that Scripture tells us, listen, you worry about the stuff going on in your own life, and let them worry about the stuff going on in their life. Uh, Worry about your sin first. In other words, Worry about the ways you're not showing love, honor, and respect before you worry so much about how others, because you really can't control whether they're going to do that or not. So anyways, we'll unpack more of that later. Uh, it's just it's, it's not a departure from um, the historical teaching on what sin is. It's just a little different understanding of how do we do that. So um, this week, our rabbit trail, I felt like if we're going to talk about rooted, we have to talk about, there's a, there's a little bit of an elephant in the room uh, in which what does it look like for the Christian to deal with suffering? If we're going to be rooted, what is the role of suffering? How do we deal with suffering? What is the purpose of suffering? And really the big question is, why does God allow suffering? So I'm probably not going to answer all of your questions today if you are in in a period of suffering within your life. But I do think it's important when we talk about being rooted to recognize suffering is a part of life. It's a part 
that every one of us experiences. There's no way for you to get through life to insulate yourself from suffering so that you never suffer anything. So how do we do that? Being rooted, being strong, growing, and being able to continue following Christ when at times we just wonder, where are you? Why is this happening? Why aren't you fixing this? Um, One of the images that that just came to me as I was kind of planning this series of of why we should do this week is if any of you have driven through any of our tornado-ravaged areas lately, we will sometimes drive up through Appison. Usually we're headed to a ball game, and we'll drive kind of this back route out through there. And a number of years ago, there was a terrible tornado. Some of the houses still haven't been repaired or rebuilt. And if you go and look at where it used to be just hills full of trees, these trees are just bent over. It looks like someone just came through and pushed them all over. And now instead of standing tall and full, you just have these um, twigs of trees that are just bent to their sides. And it's just a horrendous thing to see. And, and just you, you recognize the tremendous power of nature But what's interesting is when you begin to look at these places where tornadoes have come through and ravaged these areas, or maybe if you've been up to Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area, or other places that have experienced forest fires lately, you see what used to be these live, full forests with what looks to be this remnant of a tree. And yet as time goes by, while some of those trees do die, some of those trees do not. And what's really amazing is to see a tree that has survived a tornado begin to sprout again. This bent over tree and you think it's done, and yet there's still life coming up through it. Or you drive through an area that's been ravaged by a forest fire and you see these black charred trunks of trees, and yet some of them are beginning to sprout again. When I see those trees, it makes me think about the different types of suffering that we go through and the reality that not one of us can avoid it, but we can still be full of life even in spite of it. So how do we do that? Whenever um, a few years ago, my brother-in-law and I liked to go backpacking and as I was looking for other ways trees have survived devastating natural phenomenon, one of the things that pushes trees uh, the most is just wind, whether it be tornadoes or just an area that's super windy. And uh, my brother-in-law and I, we were hiking the Appalachian Trail, and we came to a place probably many of you, if you like to go hiking, have been to called Max Patch. Has everybody been to Max Patch before? No, nobody's been to Max Patch. All right, well, after today, you're going. And you don't have to backpack there. There's actually a parking lot. You can backpack. The Appalachian Trail goes right through it. But it's, it's a little debilitating because once, you, once you've been hiking for a number of miles and you finally get there, you look down and you're like, oh, there's a parking lot here. People are just parking and walking up and they're doing their picnic and then they're going back to their cars. And here you are, like, out in the middle of nowhere for you. But um, these, I, my brother-in-law took some pictures of our, of our trip. And Max Patch is a bald now, a bald, no offense to anyone in the room, is the lack of anything that usually there would be something there. Amen? Um, and in this case, it's a lack of trees on a hilltop. They call them balds. And 
Max Patch is this massive bald right on the Tennessee-North Carolina border. That's me walking to my tent. These are our tents. This day, there wasn't hardly anybody there. And amazingly, it's a warm spring day. I think actually this was a fall day. We went in the fall. You can see some of the leaves changing. That's my tent down there. You can see my backpack because by the time we got to the bald, I was done. I dropped my pack and I set up my tent. I was ready to get in it. Uh, so I just dropped it right there. Um, go through, go through some of the, go through the next picture. Yeah, we didn't, we don't like each other. And that's kind of how big, we're at the top of, of the main bald, but that's kind of how big it goes. You can see somebody way down there. You don't get right next to each other. And then next picture, that's me again, standing there. Oh, it's just beautiful. You all should go. It's just absolutely beautiful. That's our tent again. You can see why it's called the Smoky Mountains. Cloud, low-lying clouds under the mountains. Next one. And this this is a 360-degree video of standing at the top of Max Patch. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is on these balds at different elevations, wind is atrocious. Like, there's tons of wind that comes across and we eventually, um, even as the sun was going down, we were like, wow, we are getting really cold. Because <laughs> the wind was strong, and it was humid, and it was just like being hit with a, a wet rag. So we got in our tents. The next morning we got up, and the wind was just blowing our tents. I, you're supposed to, to stake down tents. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We did this night because it was just so strong, it would blow our tents. So next morning we got up, and... This wind had just, one half of each of our tents was just completely waterlogged from all of this cold, moist wind blowing in. We were freezing. We got back out. And there's, it, it's no wonder that it's hard for trees to grow on a bald like this. I, I ran across this image I thought I'd share with you that maybe, maybe you might relate to it a little bit. Here's a tree that has just grown in the midst of a steady wind throughout its entire life. You feel that tree. We feel that tree every Monday morning, right? And every Friday afternoon when we get getting ready to get off work. Just the idea that there are things happening outside the, the control of this tree that have shaped it into this place, and yet it continues to grow. Now, I don't know where everyone is that are watching online or are in here with us today, but... For me, this is a picture of a Christian who endures suffering. I did a blog this week called Bending But Not Breaking. It's the reality that in this broken world, we cannot escape brokenness. Now, there's all kinds of reasons we go through different types of brokenness and different types of suffering. Sometimes that suffering is something we have caused for ourselves, right? We have made bad decisions. And now we are dealing with the bad decisions. And as much as we want someone to rescue us, the reality is we put ourselves squarely in this place. We're going to have to do something about this. Sometimes suffering comes out of absolutely none of your control. You can't, you haven't invited it. You haven't made a bad decision. It just has come upon you. I think about Folks I've talked to that grew up in abusive homes and their entire future is trying to escape abuse, but they have no frame of reference because that's all they experienced from the moment they were born. 
They didn't ask for it. They didn't do anything wrong. And yet they have been shaped by the suffering they've had in their lives. Sometimes they're broken relationships with friends or spouses or parents or siblings. Maybe best friends from high school that you never talk to anymore. Or maybe it's a cousin that you used to hang out with. But something happened and now those relationships are broken and there's a level of suffering. You think about them and you miss the times together and you don't know what you're supposed to do to fix this. Maybe it's about aging and you can't stop it and you want it to stop, but there's no stopping it. And so you just feel the effects of getting older and this world, and you hate the fact of things getting older. Suffering that we have experienced has come in the form of a pandemic. None of us had anything to do with making the pandemic happen, and yet all of us were affected by it. It's out of our control, unless someone here is on one of the teams developing the vaccine, or you created the Uh, COVID-19, or you're on the CDC panel that none of us know about, you have no control over that. But it has affected your life for the last, I don't feel like it's going to be at least a couple of years. So as we go through these different types of suffering, and as we understand that, we have to understand that suffering does not come to bad people. Suffering comes to people. Suffering doesn't come to people God's unhappy with. Suffering comes to people who have a beating heart and draw breath in their lungs. This is a universal reality of life. And for people who are not believers, and even people who are believers, leads us to a very common question that is asked, and it is simply this, how could a good God allow suffering to happen? How could God do that? I think for most of us, if we had the opportunity to remove suffering... We probably would, but we may not exactly know how about going about doing it. Some of the common images we have of suffering would be war, or violence, or a pandemic. Those are all images of suffering. But there's lots of ways that we experience that in our own lives. Sometimes we cause it, sometimes others cause it. And unfortunately, depending on how much you've experienced in your life may determine what the rest of your life is going to look like. Because some people really do never get past early suffering in their life. It, it changes them, transforms them, and they can't see anything outside the lens of suffering. So how do we understand this in the, in the context of how could a loving God allow His people to suffer? And before I, I jump in, we're going to be looking primarily... Uh, today in Romans um, chapter 8, but as we jump in and we ask this question, how could God allow this to happen? Some reminders for us is, one, Jesus experienced great suffering. Like if the goal is to have no suffering, and if we're honest, the American gospel many times is about not having suffering. Like if you love Jesus, you won't suffer. If you say the prayer, then all your problems will go away. If you're in debt, and then all of a sudden you ask God to to forgive you for getting in debt, your debt will just magically disappear. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus experienced great suffering. In Isaiah 53.3, this was Isaiah prophesying about the life that Jesus would have. 
He said, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet Jesus laughed. I think Jesus probably told jokes. I don't know how good the jokes were, but I bet he probably told jokes. I bet when Peter was getting frustrated because he wasn't catching something, he chuckled and said something to Andrew, right? He was despised and rejected by men, but Jesus was a man of happiness and joy. He suffered, yet he had joy. We also read in Hebrews 4 that Jesus can relate to your suffering no matter what it is. It says, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We also need to remember that God does not always want to remove our suffering, which is hard for us to accept. Even Paul, most prolific writer of the New Testament, took the gospel to all of the Gentiles. That's us in this room. Well, most of us. Rick's in the room today, so he's literally a chosen one. (laughs) The rest of us have been grafted into the vine. And yet he says, I prayed three times for God to remove my suffering. He called it a thorn in the flesh. I prayed three times for God to remove my suffering, and he did not remove it. We're talking Paul here. Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. Peter suffered. The, the apostles all suffered. When we went through our study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we looked at the life of John, uh, he suffered. They tried to boil him in oil for crying out loud. They all experienced suffering which would lead any sane person to say, why in the world do I want to believe in a God who allows that? And for us to dive into that, we're going we're gonna to look at Romans verse eight, or chapter 8, and we're going to look through verses 18 through 30, and we're gonna, I, I'm going to take some time to walk through this. I'm going to give you some just things to take away from this, and then we're going to be done for today. Um, I in no way intend for every question you have about your suffering that you're going through to be answered, nor for your to walk out of here saying, oh, I don't suffer anymore, but instead to understand it, to be strong through it, and to have joy in the midst of it. Paul talks about this uh, pretty deeply here. So if you haven't read this passage before, it would be worth going back, going back and spending some time with this just between you and God. Verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and I mean, he just, he doesn't even question. He's just like, they just happen, they're here. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, interestingly, that word glory, in the context of what we talked about last week, of what really is sin, glory is really, at its most basic understanding, honor. We talked about sin being, or the purpose of life being to show love, honor, and respect to all people because all people share the the image of God in some part. Here, when we talk about glory, God's glory, or God sharing His glory with us, He's talking about His honor, sharing His honor with us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is 
that is to be revealed to us, which means that's coming. Something else is coming. Suffering is here now, but there's this glory that's coming in the future. We don't really even know what that looks like. When we talked about afterlife, we struggled through, well, what are the images of heaven and hell? Do we even get those right? And most of the time, we don't. But there's this glory that's coming, this thing in which we are united with with God in ways that we are kind of now, but not as fully as we will be. We see things sort of now, but not as fully as we will be. And instead, what we experience now sometimes is suffering, knowing that what's coming, it makes it all worth it. Verse 19 says, For their creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When did that happen? Literally what it's saying here is is all of creation, like the, the grass and the trees and the mountains and the oceans and the wildlife and everything in addition to us was submitted to utility or your version may say frustration. Submitted to frustration. Because there was a time in which we didn't have this suffering. We didn't have frustration. We didn't have utility. And that time was before sin entered. But that changed everything. And so since that time... The world has been troubled. The world has been broken. The world has been looking for something better, has been longing for something better because it's not what it was supposed to be. It says they've been waiting to be set free from its bondage to corruption. That corruption is a beautiful place where community demonstrates the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this incredible community of love, honor, and respect for each other. So they long for it to be set free from that and to obtain the glory of the children of God. Verse 22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's just a picture of suffering, is it not? You ever suffered so deeply that you just groaned? You've lost something so great. You just there were no words, there was no shouting, there was no explaining, there was just groaning. If you have it one day you will. Even the earth is experiencing that. Groaning within themselves like a woman going through childbirth, which probably would not be apt for me to describe what that's like, since I myself have not and cannot go through childbirth. But I've seen it, and it's pretty rough. <laughs> I should have someone else come up, who Deidre should come up and talk about what it's really like, not me. But he's saying something else is coming. You know, childbirth, the thing about childbirth is it's like it's a chaotic moment, is it not, parents who have had children? And it doesn't just start with the birth. Like, it starts long before the birth. Like, as soon as someone gets pregnant, like, things begin to change. Your mindset begins to change. People begin to get more irritable. I mean, I've heard people begin to get more irritable. 
only the third trimester. But then you all of a sudden have these weird things that happen to you that you know we call nesting. Like I gotta, I gotta get all this stuff ready now. My sister on the night before she was to give birth to her child, she was painting her deck because she needed to have everything ready. How many of you moms would be out painting a deck on the night before you're giving birth? Probably not many, but that's my sister. That's how she operates. It's it's amazing what she did. Yeah, her husband should have done it. Yeah, I'll pass that along. It's my brother-in-law in your picture. That's why our tents were so far away. Not really. But <laughs> nesting sets in. And then there's this weird tension between great expectation and great fear. Isn't there? Like I'm looking forward to this thing happening, but oh my gosh, this thing is terrible. And then the day comes. And it's time to go to the hospital. And no matter how much you've planned, you're not yet ready. You don't have everything together, but you get everything together and you go. And then you go through this whole list of things. If you do, some stay at home and go through it naturally at home. And others, like we went to the hospital. And you go through all this process of this expectation and this hope. And what's this going to be like? And what are they going to look like? Is everything going to be okay? And are they going to look like, you know... Me or him or, you know, who's it going to look like? And how are we going to manage now that we have this child? And, and what's like, and oh, I can't wait to hold them and see them. And oh, this really hurts. This is terrible. Make this go away. This is the picture that Paul is saying our lives are like today living in a broken world with anticipation of something that's coming. There's excitement and anticipation and Really hard things we have to go through until it all happens. I don't know if this is true. I've heard it's true that all of the pain that goes into childbirth is wiped away as soon as you see the baby. Some people don't would disagree with me. Paul, Paul Paul's a huh? You'd what? Time, time helps you forget. And decide to never have another child, right? But uh, yeah. now, not for Stephanie, for others, yeah, for others. This is the image, though. God says, this is where you live, like a woman in childbirth. Men, <laughs> there you are. That's the moment we're in right now. It's this time in which God has done this amazing Thing He came in the form of a man to walk among us who he knew suffering and he was despised and rejected and he bore all the weight of our sin on him and yet still something still broken. I don't know of anyone who would say, yeah, it's not broken anymore. Like we're literally living in a paradise right now. I don't know anyone who would say that. We, at this point, might say, Paul, that's great. You are really good at describing where we are, but what do we do with all of this? How do we deal with it? What do we, what do we, this, like, I don't want to be in perpetual childbirth. You know, there, there are medical fixes for that. I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Back to verse 23, not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit 
groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, that thing that's coming, we wait and we groan because we see the pain in the world and we see the anger in the world and the violence in the world. We see how people treat each other. We see the bad decisions people make. We see the bad decisions we make. And at times like Paul, we say, I don't do what I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. Is there any hope for me? We groan. We eagerly wait. As we've talked about before, this thing we're waiting for, the gospel. We have to be so careful about how we talk about the gospel. I grew up believing the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Well, that is good news. But when Paul talks about good news, he's talking about the good news they talked about in the Old Testament. Do you remember? When Paul talks about how beautiful are the feet who bring good news, it's not how beautiful are the feet of those who come and tell you that Jesus died on the cross for you. What, what is beautiful are the people that are coming and saying, we win, we're going home. He's quoting Isaiah, who is being quoted by Nahum, who says there's going to be a time that we have been exiled from our home, the promised land in which God has given us, but there's going to be a time when somebody's going to come over the hill and how beautiful were their feet when they come to us and they say, you're no longer in exile, you get to go home. That's what Isaiah is prophesying. Nahum then comes and says when it actually happens and they do return home, just as Isaiah said they would. He says, how beautiful are the feet? Because look, he's coming, telling us the gospel is absolutely Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. But the gospel is actually you get to go home what was supposed to have been and got corrupted and broken and messed up and now none of us can escape its effects on us. None of us can escape it. We get to go home. We experience a piece of that. It's beautiful. We love that the gospel is you get to be get to go back to the place that you were made to be, which is a beautiful place of walking with God in the garden, though not in the garden, and not technically walking with God the way they did. Which is why he says we are just part of the first fruits of the Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are reunited with God. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? In other words, this glory, this future thing that's coming, we're in these labor pains, excited about what's coming, but we're dealing with the hardship of what is. We have hope in that. And it's hope because we can't see it yet. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen or what it's going to look like. So we have hope there. And it would be easy for a cynic to say, well, what good is that hope? That is spoken by someone who has hope. Because if you've ever walked through life without any hope whatsoever, you know how lonely and dark it really is. We have this hope. Hope that things will get better. If you walk through a difficult season in your life and you see a light at the end of the tunnel, you're not at the light at the end of the tunnel, but yet you see have hope that it's coming. It's, anticipation begins to well up within you. This excitement, this Oh, I can endure this because I know this is just for a time. Hope is beautiful. I, 
I often talk with others who are struggling, and I have found within my own life, I, I, if, I, if I am stuck, no matter where I am, if I am stuck within my life, I have to have a plan. Now, it doesn't, the plan has, doesn't have to work out exactly as I plan it, but for me, a plan when things are going wrong gives me hope. I can take a step. I can move towards something rather than just sit here and the anxiety of the suffering of the moment. I can move forward. There's hope. Hope is powerful. Hope moves people. Hope helps you endure when you go through hardship. Verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses because we have redeemed. We are of the first fruits of the Spirit. The, the Spirit actually helps us in those times we can't be patient as we hope and we long and we look forward to and we just can't wait for the time when this brokenness is not a part of our everyday daily existence anymore. Look forward to that. There's hope. Students in the room are hoping the school gets canceled this year. Probably not a good hope, but it's a hope. Hope that we're not going to be wearing masks in school, but we might be wearing masks in school. We hope that we're not going to have another surge, but we may have another surge. There are all kinds of different types of hope, but the hope that Paul's talking about is a hope that sustains you in the midst of your suffering, that if you're one of these trees bent over and everyone assumes you're dead, there is life still welling up within you. So what do we do? We hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul doesn't say this, but Paul is inferring this. What we do in the midst of suffering is we pray. We pray. We pray believing that God wants to do something in this suffering. We pray that, that God will at times relieve our suffering. I would dare say a good majority of our prayers have to do with God fix this. Help me here. Take away this thing. A good majority of our prayer is this very natural praying I'm in this broken place. Can you help me? I don't want to be in this broken place. And so what Paul is really saying is, if you want to know what you do when you suffer, you pray. And he says this intercession happens with the Spirit within you when you can't even pray with the words to explain what you're going through. And so Paul here is talking about deep suffering. He's not talking about Man, they are out of pumpkin spice at Starbucks. He's not talking about, I mean, we, our definition of suffering is crazy, right? Um, I don't know, have you heard that Starbucks is not bringing pumpkin spice back this fall? Okay. So, okay, Leslie's happy. I don't know if that's true or not. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Um, so that may not have been very loving. But uh, we would say that's suffering, some of us. I remember... Emma, she loves Starbucks, and they had, I don't even know what they call it. Some of you know what they call this thing. It was like the unicorn drink. You remember the unicorn drink? It was like all these weird toxic colors that turn your insides out, inside out. I mean, that's not how they described it, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And so you would get this unicorn drink, and, and so she was going, and this, I don't know, this was a few years ago. She didn't have a big allowance, and 
And so those drinks are, you know, like, a, you know, $150 a piece or something like that. And, and so she finally, she was going to go. Somebody had given her a gift card and she was going to go. And she got there and they were out of the thing that makes the unicorn drink. How dare them? She was suffering. Oh, she was suffering, you know. There's different levels of suffering, right? For Emma, that is suffering. Things ought to work a certain way. Uh, she gets that from me. And there's different types of suffering. He's saying in those moments when you can't even speak to what's burdening you, the Holy Spirit speaks for you. God is there with you in the moment of your suffering. Which if we believe in the parable of the pearl of great price or the song that we sing just a few minutes ago, there is no one greater than you. There is nothing greater than you. This is the parable of the pearl of great price that says you are the greatest treasure. And if I have, ha- if I have found the greatest treasure, then I can endure any amount of suffering because I have you. And what God says over and over again is, You have me, and I am with you. Nothing will ever take me away from you. Even if in moments we question where he is. Because isn't that the question when you're a believer and you're going through suffering on your... Maybe you don't voice it, but on your heart is the question not, God, where are you? I thought you loved me. Why Why is this happening? Do you know what the stakes are here? How bad this is going to be for me? Do you want that to happen to me? I can't answer all those questions today. I think that takes a a much deeper dive into understanding suffering than we have time for today. But those are the questions. And what Paul is saying here is, the beautiful thing is, even when you're asking those questions, God is right there with you. You are not alone. He is interceding with you and for you. And if He is the pearl of great price for us, that brings great hope. If He's Santa Claus, a supernatural Santa Claus, that doesn't bring us any hope because He's not bringing us the right gifts, right? But the gift that Paul is saying He's bringing you is that He's there with you in it. Which is why Scripture says, if God is with me, what can man do to me? man do to me you see that for us that if i have him i have everything verse 27 says he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good so in other words even in your suffering something something worthwhile is going to come from it even if you can't see it even if you can't see it. Verse 29, Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, which is what we were talking about last week about whole, about destiny teaching, why you need to reject destiny teaching because this is your destiny if you follow Christ, is to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what you've been predestined to become if you follow Christ, to be conformed to the image of His Son, not to become the most successful whatever or to get the big check in the mail or to have everybody love you. But no, it's to be conformed to the image of His Son who loves well and who doesn't sin and who 
experiences fellowship with God in a way that we all want. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, just, he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Which is, again, we bring honor back into the picture, frame of this all. So what do we do? What are our takeaways from this today? I think one we can all agree on is we live in a groaning and suffering world and we are groaning and suffering ourselves. We have high expectation of what's to come. We're still struggling. and We're still groaning. When we groan and suffer, the Holy Spirit is more present with us stoking the fire of our hope and reminding us of the glory that God is moving us towards. Even in the midst of your suffering, the Holy Spirit is there speaking, working, moving you to this place formed to the image of Christ. One of the places that we struggle with in our theology and we struggle with in our price and living our lives is just that we are in this phase of the already but the not yet. Something has already happened, but something else is still yet to happen, and we're not there yet. We're still in a broken world, but we have found hope. We have found God. Creation was, in the beginning, good. When God created Adam and Eve, He said it was what? Do you remember? Very good. Creation was then submitted to futility and frustration as sin entered in. As we talked about last week, that entering in of sin into the world was the entering in of our frustration and our confusion of what is good and what is not. Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not, now you know good and evil. Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to confuse us because now we can define it for ourselves and now when the truth is right in front of our face, we struggle with it because I want it to fit my definition. So that submitted us to futility and frustration. I just can't can't get it right. Something's not right. I can't get it right. You already, but the not yet. God is doing something new. We can experience that right now. Who can know Christ right now and experience the thing that has already happened, which is Christ came and He died on the cross and He rose from the dead to take the punishment for our sins. And as He ascended to heaven, He said, I'm giving you a helper, the Holy Spirit that will live within you. If you remember our talks about kind of the multiverse, that's not what the Bible talks about, that's what Marvel talks about, but it's this cool idea of the multiverse, is the idea of heaven and earth, where heaven is this universe and the earth is this universe, and then sometimes they overlap, and then sometimes they don't. They overlapped in the garden, and then they didn't. And then God came and He was in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle in the temple, They overlapped again. Heaven came down to earth. And then Jesus came. Heaven and earth overlapped in Jesus. And then when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn supernaturally through an earthquake or whatever. It tore and it symbolized the fact that now the Spirit has gone out into the world and to all those who would follow and know Christ. So now, heaven and earth overlaps in you if you are a follower of Jesus. But there's a time coming that... Heaven and earth is going to to change again. And Scripture says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the new earth is going to descend. And that's probably not a lot, 
part of a lot of our understandings of end times. But that's what Scripture says is going to happen. A lot of our end times ideas are about us going to heaven and those bad people getting what they deserve. Which, like, we can't follow Christ and have that mindset. I mean, it's natural when someone hurts you for you to be like, I want you to get yours. Because really what we're saying is, I want you to be hurt just like I've been hurt. But when we understand what Christ has done for us and our calling to love, honor, and respect everyone because they are imitators or have part of the image of God in them, we can't wish for their hardship and destruction. This is one of the reasons that the world has rejected Christ. Not because Christ is not something that they want, but because we show them something different. This is one of the reasons we're so adamant about separating your faith and your politics. If you want to be involved in politics, fine, but if you're going to interweave your faith and your politics together, like the political discussion is basically this. You're either with me or you should die, right? Be honest. Now we've got some people we can have honest conversations with, but doesn't it feel like that's the national conversation on politics? You're with me or you should die. I wish you were dead. We begin interweaving those together. How do we say you should live? You should be alive. You should experience this thing. You are worthy of love, honor, and respect. And you'll never fully experience it until you fully experience Christ. That's what we as a community are supposed to embody. What we're supposed to do for others. We welcome. It doesn't mean we say, you know what? Whatever you want. We love it all. It just says you have a place with us welcome you you are worthy of love honor and respect it is this place of the already but the not yet we can know as paul is saying that god is going to bring something good out of suffering even if we can't see it but what paul is also saying again he doesn't outright say this but what he's basically saying is suffering is going to continue you're not going to beat it You're not going to isolate yourself. You're not going to be a good enough person. You're not going to work your way around and make good enough decisions that at the end of the day you say, you know what, no suffering for me because I did everything right. It will find you. This is the world that we live in. Interestingly, there are people who like to say they do not suffer. Usually it's because what they want to look like is they have all the answers. But yet they do suffer in some degree. And... Sometimes you don't. You don't want to paint this picture that you're going to always be in pain because certainly that's not the case. But there will be times pain shows up at the door. Another thing we see from this is that suffering opens the door for deep, intimate prayer, fellowship with God. Suffering also opens our eyes to things we are normally blind to and i believe this is one of the most practical things you can walk away with today is that suffering opens our eyes to things we are normally blind to i believe this is why god allows suffering one of the reasons i believe this is one of the reasons that god doesn't rescue us out of all of our suffering even though he does some and i believe this is why god has not just completely changed the system yet and that is yet to come is because suffering actually opened your eyes to things that you normally would be blind to and you normally wouldn't see because you would be skipping along your merry way completely enveloped in your own happiness. It's kind of where we end up. 
Suffering breaks the status quo. Suffering causes us to see the pain of others, which then wells compassion up within us. Suffering allows us to look at the the log in our eye rather than the speck in others and have compassion when someone is in sin rather than to be judgmental and to say, I get it, I'm struggling too. I'm a fellow struggler. It opens our eyes to things that we're normally blind to. Suffering gives us the opportunity to show love, honor, and respect to others. This morning, our worship team had to go deal with something unexpected and difficult, had to leave early, and it was wonderful to see uh, those in the building and the others of the worship team come alongside of them and just love, love her. Pray for her. Show her some love, honor, and respect. See, suffering gives us the opportunity to do that. Suffering draws our attention to others so we don't just keep it focused on ourselves. Finally, we don't just wait for the end to come. Suffering opens the door for you to carry the life of Jesus with you. We actually read that in Romans. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Also Paul speaking, different letter. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show what the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're not the all in all. He is the all in all. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Mangled, tornado, ravaged trees to have life flowing in them. The times when you feel like you're that mangled tree, the life of Christ still flows in you. That gives us hope and love. The thing I would leave you with is this. In the midst of your suffering, you experience the closeness of the Spirit of God as we wait to fully experience the glory of God. And may we draw others to do the same, knowing that God will use our suffering for good in the end. That's all I've got for you today on suffering. You're going to probably walk out of here and go, well, that wasn't enough. I know. It's such a massive topic. But I hope what it does is it gives a little bit bit different perspective and puts you in a place to begin to ask some different questions if you're going through a difficult time. One of those questions is, well, have I squarely put myself in this place? then maybe I need to squarely get myself out of this place. Maybe that looks like the job you're in that you hate. (laughs) And you've been praying for God to give you your dream job for who knows how long now, and and God's sitting there going, well, there's a community college right down the street. Go get your new job. Maybe he's saying, I've been telling you to quit and to go out and try this thing. Go quit and go out and try this thing. Or... Stay where you are. It's your choice. Maybe that suffering is at our own hands. A lot of the suffering in the world is not at our own hands. It happens to us. You might get sick, lose a parent, a child. 
And all of a sudden, suffering is beating down our door and we see no way out. We can know that Christ is with us. He's even going to use that for good in the end, even if we can't see it. We can fully experience Him. And one of the things that suffering does for me, it drives me to the foot of the cross with Christ. When I've given up on anything I can do to fix this, it drives me there. And I can tell you I have some of the most beautiful times with Christ in the midst of suffering. And I know I may on the outside look like a tree mangled by a tornado, but inside is the life of Christ flowing through me. And I'm thankful for that. I know many of you can say the very same thing. We're finishing Rooted. I think there's, gosh, I feel like we could do this for uh, months. But I want to move on to something else. If you haven't seen all of the Rooted series, they're all online. Go to our podcast. Lots of it's it's a journey. Lots of topics that lead us on a journey. I'd love for you to go and catch them all. Um, it's really more of a primer of what are we really as Christians. And some of it is what you've probably heard before, and some of it is maybe a reframing. I don't know. Uh, I would encourage you to go uh, dive in deeper. And if you've been to all the weeks, I would encourage you to go listen to each. I think they're all good. And I've Sounds really super arrogant to say, but I really do think they're really good, and um, some of the best stuff I've done in a really long time. Um, but we need to move on, and we're going to be moving on to so so. This is our favorite question, and why we often come to church. So what do we do? Well, that is a complicated question too. So I want to talk to you about rhythms starting next week. We're going to talk about rhythms. Uh, you may have heard them as spiritual habits or in more realistic settings, spiritual disciplines. Uh, that's really not what a rhythm is. A rhythm is not meant to be a, a, a place to constantly bring you shame because you are not doing the things you're supposed to do, yet there are things in Scripture that tell us if you will wrap your life around these practices, you will experience God in ways you never would have before. And it's a rhythm that we get into. Sometimes I'm good at them. And sometimes I'm not. But it's a rhythm of my life. It's a rhythm of your life. We're going to talk about rhythms next week. We're going to do that for a few weeks. Um, and I hope that you'll join us. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and um, we'll kick that off next week. Uh, like last week, I'm going to close this in prayer. That we're going to go. You're welcome to stay and talk, visit, get to know one another. You're welcome to bolt. If you're a guest, thank you for being with us. I hope this was helpful. Last week and this week, you know, that's kind of what you expect when you come to church. You know, sometimes people come in in church and they, think, they say things like, if I come in the door, the roof's going to cave in. Yeah, and but the other thing they say is, yeah, they're only going to talk about sin and suffering. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, we did that for last week and this week. Next week, we're not going to be talking about sin nor suffering, although they might rear their heads here and there. Um, we're going to talk about how, where do we go? How do we have healthy rhythms in our life that lead us to the place of joy and lead us to ful- fulfilling relationships And uh, how do we better love, honor, and respect each other? We're going to start talking about that next week. All right? I want to pray with you. And I want to pray especially today. And and maybe let's just just take a a minute, not a few minutes. I don't want you to think we're going to stay here forever. But just take a minute um, for you to just, in whatever way you can, voice your suffering to God. You don't have to voice it out loud, although you can. uh, But voice your suffering to God. 
And then I want to pray with you. And then we'll dismiss. We'll just take a minute. If you're in a place that is difficult right now, it's a place where you're constantly calling out to God right now. Just convey that to Him. He's a big God. You take it. He does not judge you for voicing your suffering. He welcomes it. He wants you to know He's there with you. Just take this minute. Voice what is on your heart. Father, you are a good, good God. Your love is without parallel. Even in this moment, you see the suffering that we are each as individuals experiencing. And in that suffering, you see the pain that for some may feel like it awakens them in the morning and stays with them till they go to bed at night. I'm thankful that you have told us over and over through your word that in those moments you are with us. And so common for us to imagine that if you loved us, that our lives would look like walking with you along green pastures, as the psalmist says. I am thankful that you're with us even though we're walking along the valley of the shadow of death. We do not have to fear evil because you are with us. Pray you would forgive us for believing that you've abandoned us when we hurt. Because you are so much better than that. But I pray you would give us eyes to see as you see, because our eyes are so blinded by pain at times. Well, Father, I, along with every other person who has already voiced their pain to You, desire for that pain to be removed, just as Paul desired for his thorns in the flesh to be removed. I don't know if You're going to do that or not. But I pray that we would draw close to You regardless. If there's a lesson to be learned, I pray that we would learn it. If there's a change to be made, I pray that we would know that change and we would make it. Or if we're simply in that 
already not yet, where you have done some amazing things for us, we're still caught in this world until you come again. Give us patience to wait for the glory that's coming. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the suffering of those around us so that we can respond with care, not with judgment. Father, I pray that we would experience what you said we would experience with your Holy Spirit within us. We would have eyes to see. We would have ears to hear. We would see you at work. We would love you even more than we already do. Help us in our suffering. In the midst of your suffering, may you experience the closeness of the Spirit of God as you wait to fully experience the glory of God. And may we draw others to do the same, knowing that God will use your suffering for good.